Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Sign up today and find out why nothing beats a win at the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app or or go to betmgm.com and enter code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-888-532-3500. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fat Minute. Here tonight with, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Here tonight with another episode of the Fat Minute, joined by my co-host BBJ. Yeah, hello. (laughs) Returning guest Kyle Reyes. Kyle, did we lose him? I, I see his picture, but... All right, yeah, now there. Oh, boy. Jesus. Oh, man. Now the iPhone's just bouncing back and forth on shit. I'm sorry. Are we good? I'm good now. I'm good. Okay. Well, like I was saying, returning guest Kyle Reyes here tonight, and I am, of course, your host, Don John. Kyle Reyes, he's the host of the Ridiculous Podcast. You can catch that every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on... Facebook and YouTube. He's also the artist of the comic Primal Instinct, and he's the writer for Voltage Wrestling, which had their first show in uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia, this past weekend. I'm sure they got plenty more shows coming along. Oh yeah. So how are you doing tonight, Kyle? Got a lot. Uh, pretty good. Uh, can't can't uh, can't complain too much. Uh, pretty exhausted from the first event this weekend. It was hot as hell. Yeah, it's fucking hot today. Uh, like I I'm sitting still and i feel like i've ran a fucking marathon just with how fucking sweaty i am it's the worst yeah it's what, been uh, gross what does this voltage wrestling have any um social media we can follow kyle yeah uh you can follow us at on twitter at this is voltage mm-hmm. and we have a facebook page at uh at voltage wrestling and you can also check out check us out on voltagewrestling.com and there is a direct link through that through my personal website, KyleRaysComics.com. Wonderful. All so right. If you're a fan of professional okay. in the uh, tri-state here, definitely check us out. All right. Well, Kyle, you said you didn't have much to complain about. Well, I'm going to give you some stuff to complain about because tonight we're talking about the year 2012. Um, oh, God. And what a weird fucking year that was. <laughs> talking about the Rush album 2012? Uh, I wish. <laughs> Um, but we're talking about the year 2012 got a bunch of topics to get into tonight so let's go ahead and jump into the nitty gritty of it start off with some major newsworthy events of 2012 first one uh, let's talk about like the the one that comes to most people's minds immediately when they think of 2012 the the mayan doomsday fears um was anybody actually afraid that the world was going to end in 2012 because i always kind of felt like there was just kind of like a wink and a ha ha attached to it 
No, there were there were uh, there were several months, um, several years beforehand where I was legitimately paranoid. <laughs> okay, so we have one person who was legitimately paranoid. Uh, I think my brother might have been freaked out about it a little bit, but. I, I just it just really tickled me like the whole thing like oh man the Mayan like calendar ends like at the end of this year and I'm just like okay one when did we ever fucking pay attention to the Mayan calendar other than this and two it's like they made this thing thousands of years ago you guys ever just think that maybe they just decided to stop making it after a while that's exactly what I was telling people all the time. Is like, you know, they got to 2012, you know, or the whatever the equivalent was in their calendar. It's like, I think that's far enough for now, guys. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, you guys got to remember when they made this thing, Jesus wasn't even alive yet. Like, at that point, I think, I think they were just kind of like, eh, whatever. The grandkids will get the next century or two. <laughs> I just remember this kind of being like the Y2K thing, where it was, it was just more silly than it was fearful, at least to me. Um, but I do specifically remember the day that it was supposed to happen. What it was like December twenty third or something like that. Twenty third, twenty first. It was supposed to be the same as the the winter solstice. Okay. I remember. I think Blake, you had gone home at this point, but I remember I was at our friend Zach's house with our friend Trevor, like the day before, and it like we were there late. And we were just hanging out, like watching a movie or whatever. And all of a sudden, we checked our like phones and saw it was like. 2 a.m. We're like, oh shit, <laughs> the apocalypse is here, guys. And we were just kind of like, I know I just made fun of people who might have been legitimately paranoid about it, but there was like a solid like 10 seconds where all of us just kind of looked at each other. I was like, who wants to go outside first, just in case? <laughs> uh, we we went outside though, and the sky was not blood red, and uh, Montezuma did not come and gobble us up. So all is well. Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> the Aztec two step. Crossing uh, Mesoamerican cultural lines there. <laughs> well, now that one's out of the way. Let's move on to the next uh, major event of 2012 the Coney 2012 campaign. Jesus, God. <laughs> I don't think anything sums up my thoughts and opinions on that better than the episode of South Park that made fun of it. Um, the one remind about, me about that. What's that? I said, remind me about that one. It was the episode where uh, basically Stan becomes like the head of like this anti-bullying campaign at the school, and he's like super like up his own ass about it, and thinks he's like the messiah of the of the schoolyard or whatever, and he's like getting everybody's face who doesn't like think it's as big a deal as he does. It's just like every every other scene's like, did you know? <laughs> every day. Over, like, so many kids commit suicide because of bullying. <laughs> yeah, I, re I didn't realize that that was making fun of Coney 2012. Oh, yeah, because every because every time he did that, like, Kyle would make the remark, you're going to end up jacking it in San Diego, like the dude who did the Coney 2012 documentary. Um, oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. I, I just I just love that little, um, that little uh, mannerism, that little uh, quirk, who was just like, do you know? <laughs> yeah. And that, that was that was Coney 2012, like, exactly. Like, first off, I don't know if either of you have actually seen that documentary that that, like, group put out that started mm -hmm. this whole thing, but it's, like, first off, it glosses over the issue and simplifies it way too much and also gets a lot of shit wrong about it. But my problem with it was this issue had been going on since, like, the mid-'80s, and it had been in the news numerous times since it started, and, like, people suddenly were acting like they were 
you know, in the know and they were like doing their part to save a country that had nothing to do with the conflict anymore. <laughs> Just yeah. because they just because they watched the YouTube video. Yeah. So this was my senior year of college. It was uh, 2012 was the last year of first semester or last semester of my senior year of college, and then the first semester of grad school. Mm-hmm. And I remember this Coney 2012 thing actually got noticed because I was part of the Amnesty International group up in Frostburg. Mm-hmm. So when that documentary came out, that was it was a big deal for that group. Yeah. So I, I haven't seen it since, and you know, it's been nine years now. Um, so I don't recall the documentary as much, but I do remember sitting around with everybody asking exactly that question. It's like, why now? Right. Yeah, this has been a problem for 30 years. Why all of a sudden is, why why now? <laughs> Especially since like it had been a problem for almost 30 years at that point, and by this point, it had for the most part, I wouldn't say it had been taken care of, but it, you know, like by this point, Kony wasn't even in Uganda anymore, and like his his army was like down to like maybe a hundred people. So it's like, yeah, like it's just why now for more than one reason. I just think it was weird more than anything else. Well, maybe not more than anything else, but I thought it was weird that like they had to put the year in the title. Like, oh yeah, we have to get them by the end of this year. It's like, I I, I don't know. That just kind of makes it like. It made it seem like they were celebrating and, like, turning him into a celebrity almost. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And then you had, like, the, the you know, the shithead hot takes that were, like, Coney 2012, well, better than Obama or Romney 2012. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's like it was just weird putting the year in the title because then, like, you immediately make it dated in a way because, like – if you run maybe a few months over, like you, you're still a joke. <laughs> yeah. No, this was, this, this was probably like one of the first like moments where I like recognized a case of, I guess, virtue signaling. And it's just like, you had all these people who were acting like they, they were saving this poor little country. And it's just like, okay, well, what are you actually doing? Like, and I feel like yeah. most of them, if you were to ask them, like, what is this all about? They, they wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> Well, if you want to talk about, I mean, not to, not to, um, I guess, um, sidestep or like jump ship, you know, onto another ship, but you want to talk about virtue signaling, a big trend this same year was, you know, you had Amy Winehouse pass away, you had Whitney Houston pass away, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden on Facebook, it became really popular to be like, oh yeah, you're upset about this one celebrity dying? You know who else died? The troops. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. like what? <laughs> it's just like why is everybody upset about Whitney Houston when this Army Ranger died? You know, twelve months ago, and it's like what? What do you? What point are you making right now? Holy it's mother like, of false false equivalencies. Yeah, yeah, oh. like all of a sudden, every time a pop star passed away, it had to launch a contest for sainthood. <laughs> this might be like the first year where it really got prevalent, where. Uh, the the social media presence of boomers, yes, kind of really took over. Yes, and it, yeah. And yeah. It, it, that right there is like a really indicative part of that. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say about like the whole 2012 thing is that it turned into a flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. And this has kind of been a problem with how well the Western world has viewed Africa since, well, ever. Yeah. It's there's a problem and we care about it for a little while. 
And by putting this year in the hashtag, all of a sudden, you know, the, the clock turns another calendar year and everybody forgot. Mm-hmm. Everybody moved on to the same thing or a, a different thing. And it was kind of the same thing with like, remember the, the genocide in Darfur mm-hmm. in the 2000s? That was a big deal. And then all of a sudden, you never heard of it again, like right. mainstream. Right. And it, this is a problem with you know, the way social media blew up. Uh, the way the news started getting handled. 2012 is, in my opinion, really also when politics started to really go off the rails here. Yeah. Uh, not quite. Uh, it, you know, it didn't really crash and burn until 2016, but right. I think the really are, are here in, that, in, in 2012. You, you, got, you got to see some seeds being planted. Right. And now that we're, yep. you know, since we're bringing that subject up, let's go ahead and move into the 2012 presidential election. Yeah. Uh, you know, Obama versus Mitt Romney. Man, guys, remember when Mitt, when we all thought Mitt Romney was the scariest thing that happened to politics? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I will say, you know, on top of what you've, you, you've been saying, Kyle, the 2012 election was really the time that made, was really when I started to realize that my parents weren't just wrong, because I grew up in a very Republican household. And even growing up as a kid, I remember thinking like a lot of the stuff my parents would tell me about the world didn't line up with what I actually experienced in the world myself. Yes. Um, and but I always just grew up thinking like, well, it's just a difference of opinion, essentially, fundamentally, um, or just a different perception of the world. Fundamentally, it, it happens. But this time, th- this election was really what made me realize that my parents weren't just wrong. They were actually fucking dumb. Um, I mean, there's, there's just no, my parents were just fucking dumb and just, I remember like, here, here's a good example of just how fucking backwards my parents are. I remember election day, 2012, you know, I went and voted. My parents went and voted. I was, I was in college at the time myself. I came home later that night and my stepdad and I were kind of discussing the election and when we went and voted and everything. And at the time, on the ballot was also, it may not have been at the same time, but it was around, there may have been like another election this year or whatever, where the state of Maryland had like gay marriage, you know, legalized gay marriage on the ballot. Same ballot, yeah. Yeah. And I remember my stepdad was, I was like, yeah, I voted yes on that. My stepdad was like, yeah, I voted yes too, because, you know, I I don't really care one way or the other. Um, And then, of course, for president, I voted for Mitt Romney. I'm like, so you basically canceled out one vote or the other. (laughs) Like, I mean... And it's just, and then I just the whole healthcare thing, you know. My stepdad always talking shit about Obamacare, it's because of how after it got passed, his health insurance through his employer went up. And I'm like, okay, but how is that Obamacare's fault? Well, it didn't change before it got passed. Okay, but what about Obamacare caused it to happen? And what, or is it just your employer fucking with you, you know, mm-hmm. or the insurance provider fucking with your employer, like one or the other? And yeah. I just remember talking to my dad about healthcare, and this is like one of the last times I I like bothered trying to discuss anything of importance with him. You know, I said we we really should be just doing a system like Canada's, where you know universal healthcare. And my stepdad said, and I'll never forget it, and this is verbatim. He said, and I quote, "No, because in Canada, when you're terminal, they just pump you full of drugs and let you die." And I looked at my stepdad and I said, "Have you never fucking heard of hospice?" Cool. Yeah, it's th- this election was really just what taught was what really revealed to me that my parents weren't just wrong about a lot of things. They 
they were actually fucking dumb, and I needed to get the fuck out of the house. Kind of pinballing off that, like, this was also the election I started seeing this weird trend towards uh, false bipartisanship. Yeah. I think, like, voting for, like, gay marriage that year while voting for Romney at the same time, it was somehow, like, it made everybody feel better, like, oh, I'm, I'm towing the middle ground here, you know? Like, right. America's in yeah. the middle is where we need to be. The extreme yeah. moderate. Yeah, that has been a problem in, well, that's been a problem in American politics for at least 35 years. Mm-hmm. Well, now, but this and, was and, I, and I think, and my sister theorized that that's what happened a lot this past one. I mean, not to fast forward or whatever, but I think there was a lot of that this time where it's like, all right, I'll, you know, since the guy we have now is super crazy, I'll vote for Joe Biden, but then I'll, you know, down the ballot, I'll vote for all these guys that won't help Joe Biden at all just to make myself feel better about what I did. Yeah. Um, I saw that a lot in, uh, in 2018 uh, when I worked on the gubernatorial campaign. Mm-hmm. I worked for the American, Maryland Democratic Party, and everybody I talked to was voting Democrat down the line, except for they were still going to vote for Larry Hogan. Oof. To me, it was just like, you're going to vote for all these positions and all these bills you want passed, and then you're going to vote for a guy who's going to obstruct it at every turn. Like, I don't understand what you're doing here. Well, that's because Larry Hogan managed to do a good job of tricking people that he's he, he's a left-leaning moderate or a moderate conservative or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. And it's just like, no, guys, he, he like anything he's done has not been good. Everything that's good that's happened since he took office was because we we had a left-leaning uh, uh, state senate. <laughs> it was in spite of. Right, not because of. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I don't want to go too deep into that because you guys know I will <laughs> – <laughs> I have thoughts on Hogan. I mean, we all got thoughts on Hogan, brother. He's a cunt. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> that's Ooh. like that's like ha- that's like half my time on Twitter is talking about how much of a fucking cunt Larry Hogan is. Oh, brother, choir over here. <laughs> motherfucker go. Motherfucker writes in Ronald Reagan on the on the ballot in the 2020 election and has the gall to go on Twitter and preach about bipartisanship. Fuck you, you fat fucking cunt. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, don't act like you don't like Harry, Larry Hogan, Harry Hogan. <laughs> that, that'll, that, that'll be, that'll be his, that'll be his fake democratic alter ego that he'll run against I'm, in 2024. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, fan of the uh, family friendly um, Bigfoot comedy, uh, Harry and the Hogansons. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, that's, it's a lot of uses of the C word there, bud. I don't um, care. Anyway, anyway, hey, remember when we were talking about the 2012 election? Yes, um, man, I miss Obama. I miss Obama. <laughs> I was, I had never sighed so hard with relief in my entire life up to that point. Um, you know, I, I, for a while there, I really thought he wasn't going to pull it off. Because really. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was worried. I was worried. Um, it's like you said, people are dumb, and I was just seeing this argument of he hadn't done enough, and I'm like, wow. Well, if if uh, you don't like him for not doing enough, get get ready to meet somebody who's going to go in complete reverse. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, I yeah. I remember the election like being like, there's. I remember being pretty confident about like, there's no way Mitt Romney's going to win. In fact, 
Let me tell you how confident I was Mitt Romney wasn't going to win. I'm pretty sure I've told you this story before, Blake. I don't think I've ever told you this story, Kyle, but this is some sneaky shit I did in the 2012 election. It's probably not morally right, but I did it anyway. Um, I was actually a registered Republican at the time because, again, grew up in Republican household, and my mom was like standing over my shoulder when I got my driver's license and was watching me register the vote, and I'm like, well... I'm not going to register Democrat in front of her and have that awkward conversation at home. Right. So, you know, of course, Obama's running for re-election. I'm like, I'm definitely going to vote for Obama. But I'm like, well, I'm registered Republican. I might as well see what the Republican Party's offering just to hear him out. And I'm like, wow, they all suck. Surprise. Um, so what I did was I'm like, well, I'm registered Republican. Obama's running anyway. I know I'm going to vote for him in the general. So I might as well vote in the Republican primary and vote for the weakest fucking person just to like try to help him get the nomination. <laughs> so in the primary, I voted for Mitt Romney just because I was like, there's no way Mitt Romney can beat Obama. He has the charisma of a fucking dry sponge. And, you know, the rest was history. <laughs> I didn't remember that story, Donnie. Oh, well, I did that. <laughs> oh, I think wow. I should recall you telling me that once. I, that was, I mean... It was a calculated risk, I guess, but I did it. You didn't. You didn't vote for Ron Paul. Yeah, fuck no. Christ. <laughs> oh, libertarians. Oh, cool ranch white supremacy. <laughs> I got I mine. You, fuck you. One thing I did really enjoy during that election was uh, watching Paul Ryan try to debate Joe Biden. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah. That was like that was a train wreck in action. That was, um, I just, you know, he sat down with him and he thought he was going to do what I guess Mitt Romney did in the, well, first of all, let's just say like, as much as I love the guy in that first debate, Barack Obama, he fumbled that shit. He was on Ambien. Um, he, he did not do a good job with that. No. So then like all eyes were on the, you know, the next debate, which was the vice president debate. And it's like, oh man, oh, that, that, that young guy is going to really mop the floor with that old guy. That old guy sat down and didn't take his shit for one fucking minute. And all Paul Ryan did for the next 90 minutes was gulp water over and over again. <laughs> I'll tell you what I've missed from the 2012 election. It's just watching Herman Cain be Herman Cain. Oh, shucky ducky. I know, I know you just did it, Donnie, but tell the story of when he just... He just couldn't just, answer a fucking question. Fucking leading up to the election, you know, of course the the civil war in Libya was going on at the time. And during an interview, somebody asked Herman Cain, like, what are your thoughts on how Bar on Barack Obama's, uh, you know, response to the civil war in Libya? And there's just like a solid 30 seconds where he's just sitting there looking at his water bottle. He just kind of shifts it around. And he just, um, Barack? Obama, <laughs> and he just basically just kept tiptoeing around like he's like you know I don't want to say one way or another whether I disagree or agree until we get the full story and the reporter's just trying to be like well here's the full story here's what he did what do you think about it I was like I told you I don't want to comment one way or the other <laughs> like I swear to God you, he just <laughs> which one's Libya again <laughs> God forbid a presidential candidate answer a question on foreign policy. Yeah. Oh, man. Herman Cain. I, I miss him just because of how fucking goofy he was. But he fucked around and found out when it came to COVID, so. 
Oh, I miss the days when he was the scariest thing Republicans had to offer. I truly do. Yeah, take me back. <laughs> Simpler times, kid. Simpler times. Let's move on to a different presidential election, the 2012 uh, Russia election, where Putin became president for... Again. Yeah, again, because he was president previously, what, 2008? No, he was... He was... I got my dates all mixed up here. Yeah, he was president from 2000 to 2008, and then from 2009 to 2012, he was the prime minister of Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, While uh, Dmitry, I'm probably butchering this name... Medvedev, he was the president during that time. Thank you. Um, Yeah, like, but let's be real here. During that time, Putin was still in charge. Oh, Putin's been in charge of Russia for since the since the nineties, like twenty five years more or less. Yeah, Um, I think he I think he reaches his term limit by the by the time the next election comes around. But I could be wrong on that. The Russian the way the Russian government is weird is run is it's weird with you know the the powers that the president and the prime minister have, they almost overlap and then contradict each other. Yeah. But this is where, I mean, really, you know, even though Putin's pretty much been running Russia since the nineties, this was really where our current age of our relations with Russia really like began. Um, it just feel, it, it's just like, it's almost like a, a second cold war in a lot of ways. Just, Sometimes it seems like everything's okay, and then all of a sudden something will happen. We'll be like, "Whoa, what's going to happen there?" Um, and I mean, you could—it just ultimately just comes down to Putin's also a fucking cunt. Um, oh yeah, piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, I remember the the, the biggest thing that comes to my mind—I I, I can't remember what year this was—but uh, it's when the Olympic Games were going to be in Russia, and there was a lot of concern over, you know, how gay athletes were going to be treated there because he had just made it illegal to fucking be gay in Russia. Yep. Um, and there was talk of like, maybe we shouldn't go. Maybe we should boycott them to protest this. And then there was also the argument of like, well, these athletes have trained pretty much their whole lives to get there. So we're just supposed to not let them go and show that gay people can also be star athletes and do the same things that not gay people can do. It, and it was just like, that, that whole country is just... Yikes. <laughs> a headache. A headache. Yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was an uncomfortable line to, to tow. Yeah. Um, uh, it was difficult to navigate, for sure. Uh, I mean, just reading reading Obama's memoirs that he put out a couple months ago and just reading the bits that he put in about his meetings and his relationship with with Putin and with, you know, the, the guy before him who was basically his puppet – it's just like, God damn, dude, no wonder you aged 20 years in the span of eight. Like, holy yeah. fuck. And imagine how bad he would have aged if he was white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> damn. Barack Obama, Barack Obama proved that it can crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just got to stress it out enough. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was pretty stressful eight years. Yeah. Well, what do you guys got to say about about Putin being in charge of Russia and that whole relationship we got going on? I don't like him. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck Putin. I, you know. He's he's really built a cult of personality around himself. Apparently, he's a pretty good hockey player. They just keep letting him score. Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. Like, does does um. 
does does Putin have a butthole? That's a good question. I'll have to ask him at the next meeting. Yeah. Okay. All I know is that when you're playing Putin in hockey, you don't go to the penalty box. You go to Gulag. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Kind of group these two events together in 2012. The Aurora Theater shooting and the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, yeah, these are these are tough subjects to talk about for a number of reasons. I mean, the obvious one being the death that's involved, but also this is where, you know, this this obviously these obviously were not like the first mass public shootings, and they certainly weren't the last. And <coughs> the reason they uh, the reason they stick out so much now is because I think this is really where mass shootings started to become like a regular occurrence. Like this is where it started becoming like a thing where I feel like at this point we need to start putting up a sign like this many days since a shooting um, and just change it with, with the incidents. And I feel like it it all started here. Like before this, uh, a public mass shooting was something that was, you know, it happened like maybe every like five years or so. Um, but then after this, it'd just be like, you know, maybe once a year and then like a couple times a year. And then before you know it, like suddenly we're having one like almost every fucking day. And it just boggles my mind how like the Second Amendment is the thing that this country really wants to like. That's the hill so many in this country want to fucking die on. It's like fuck everything else that is like just wrong with the world and everything. This is the hill you want to die on. It's just like there are so many things we could be doing to prevent this shit and curtail this shit, and we just don't do it because of that. And it just it just blows my mind. It frustrates me. It pisses me off. And it's just when I hear people like you know, I hear people now already. Biden's gonna take our guns away. I'm like, oh yeah, he's gonna finish what you said Obama was gonna do. I guess. Um, I remember in 2016, I'm like, man, Obama's only got a couple months, and I still have all my guns. What the fuck is he doing? Um, <laughs> You know, when I hear people like, I'm a proud gun owner, I'm like, oh, cool, I'm a proud remote control owner. That's how dumb you sound. I just, it's, I, I just don't see what about owning a machine makes you feel so proud about it. Like, life's not a movie and you're not John Wayne. Hmm. I think yeah. there were, go ahead, go. Uh, I was just going to say, I think there were two things that really stuck out for me. Uh, when I'm looking back on this. And the first was the morning after the Colorado shooting. Uh, I remember sitting there in the living room and watching Mitch McConnell give this impassioned defense on the NRA. Ugh. And it, like, he's like, yeah, this is sad, but, like, we're not going to, you know, the NRA is still, or no, it wasn't Mitch McConnell. It was uh, LaPierre. Was that his name? Wayne LaPierre. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they gave him like this platform, like CNN gave him this platform to talk in this defense of the NRA. And it was absolutely infuriating. But the other part that really sticks out to me, and this is, it all kind of came to a head, and this is just what depresses me the most, is that after the Sandy Hook shooting, if we weren't going to do anything after 20 children were killed, we were never going to do anything. Yeah. 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 If killing, if 20 dead children, like kids isn't going to change things, then nothing was ever going to change. No. Yeah. Yeah. Once, that, a sobering well, and depressing thought. Yeah. Once, once we saw that so many Americans were willing to live with that, we kind of knew it, it was basically over. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to sound so defeated when I say that, 
Um, I want to have some hope on it. It could turn around. Let me let me go ahead and do these events in order. You know, my perspective was, you know, when the Aurora, Colorado shooting happened, um, I I worked at a movie theater. I was currently working at a movie theater when that happened. And um, that happened, I guess what? That happened on a Thursday night, right? It happened at the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises. It wasn't right. Friday night. It was Thursday night. Yep. Um, the entire next day, I mean, every, at least, at least, definitely, definitely within a half hour, but I would want to say once every 15 minutes, we got a phone call um, in town asking if we were still going to show it, if we were still open, if we had closed down, if, you know, we had taken the new Batman movie off the schedule. It was amazing. And I remember that, like, we were... <laughs> pardon me but i mean like you know for my job at the time you know i it i i can't help but i can't help but be curious about what that movie would have done if that had not happened now you know forgive me and don't don't misconstrue what i'm saying here obviously there are many more important things in the world i mean that's not important at all movies in that respect aren't important but it was almost i just the curiosity of like how much that event hurt that film because it did not end up doing what the dark Knight did. And, you know, that weekend was so quiet at the movie theater and people showed up and, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was decent crowds and stuff, but it was nowhere near what we thought it was going to be. And we had it in half our theaters. We were in eight theater and we had it in four theaters. We had it playing like once every hour and, at the end of the weekend, we just, it just didn't do what we were expecting it to do. And I was like, wow, you know, I guess, you know, people just weren't as excited for it. I was just trying to like not talk about it. And my boss was like, no, like people are probably scared of getting shot. And yeah, it's amazing. Just, just amazing. Just to look into the crystal ball and see, you know, that's obviously not high up on the list, but one of many things to be like, oh, you know, what would that have looked like if that had not happened? But Right. And then with um, Sandy Hook in the um, in the you know visual uh, book of uh, Obama an Intimate Portrait by Pete Souza, the his um, photographer mm -hmm. for you know all eight years, um, he calls that chapter the worst day of his presidency. Um, and you know he was upset about the ones before it, the the mass shootings that had happened before it. But no, that was the one that legitimately broke him. Um, I remember, yeah. I remember getting pissed whenever I would hear people be like, "Oh, you know, he was faking it. He was making himself cry on purpose, or whatever." He, he, on Fox News, they accused him of hiding an onion in his sleeve. Jesus Christ! Yeah, but um, no, if he you was, didn't cry over twenty elementary school children getting gunned down. I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. Well, and and you know what? Like, I agree with what you've been saying with that, Kyle. Like, if that did, but you know what? I think that's merely the prologue to what then happened, you know, like we were going to mock, we were going to mock a man for crying over 20 dead children. And I was like, what could possibly top that? What could possibly be more sickening than that? You know what? Fast forward a few years later, um, the Parkland kids, they decided to step up and step forward and, you know, become and start a movement. And what did an entire network do? They started talking shit on survivors of gun violence. Like yep. it, just when I thought like it was, it was gross enough that they mocked 
you know, a sitting president for being upset over um, the victims of gun violence, people started mocking. Like, they, I mean, they still do it now. Like, they tear that David Hogg kid apart all the time. And, um, or the uh, Emma, what's her last name? Um, she has the, uh, you know, sh the very short haircut. Um, Emma Gonzalez, is that her name? But, um, can't recall. They, they still, they still mock her. And yeah. it's just like, wow, the pro life people, the patriotic pro life people taking kids, children, child victims, and survivors of gun violence and roasting them and making them the butt of so many jokes and telling them to shut up and go away and stuff like like i'm sorry like if you get to survive an event like that then you goddamn get to have an opinion on it <laughs> damn right and then also to kind of tie that into what we were saying earlier about how this was like when boomers having a presence on the internet really became a thing i mean i remember also seeing like so many like photoshopped pictures being shared around and just like bullshit articles like oh it's they, they got paid actors because you could see the same like brunette girl at all the shootings on the news stations and everything and they were all shared by boomers and it's just like they don't even look alike half the time <laughs> like yeah because as we know in the united states of america there is only one skinny brunette girl that goes to a high school <laughs> yeah yeah it, well, now that we're off that, let's move on to our last newsworthy event of 2012, the Benghazi attacks, um, or as we like to call it, the, the, the greatest witch hunt ever. Um, what a fucking mess this whole thing was. And I mean, like, because it all started with the attack on, on the embassies, and then, you know, 12 American soldiers died, and well, wasn't one of them a... Didn't, were all 12 of the American deaths, were they all soldiers or were they, um, was there like, I feel like there was like, at least one of them was like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a delegate or something like that. An ambassador. Ambassador, I, yeah. See, yeah. I think we have two different numbers. You're saying 12. I was under the impression four had died. Um, so are we... I just remember leading up to the 2016 election with Hillary. That was always the thing. Everybody was like, what about those 12 guys that died in, in Benghazi? Was the number I always heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying four Americans died in the 2012 Benghazi attack. Okay. Um, Ambassador Chris Stevens, Information Officer Sean Smith, and two CIA operatives, Glenn Doherty and Tyrone Woods. Both yeah, former they, Navy SEALs. Okay. And then, of course, a lot of people thought the attack was uh, a response to a very anti-Muslim propaganda documentary that was released by a shitty filmmaker over here. Um, I believe it was put on YouTube, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, it's oof, it's about as fucking bigoted as you can get. Um, and just the attack happened. You know, those people died. And... It just started like everybody wanted to blame. First, they wanted to blame Obama. Then they brought it down to they wanted to blame Hillary Clinton because she was the Secretary of the State at the time. And it's just like it, it was just the deflection and the smoke and mirrors and the pointing of the fingers and the shifting of the blame that went on this whole fucking circus. Like, yeah, it, it like it was 
in a lot of ways, a worse mess than the Bush administration's handling of the Iraq war, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just the, the, the thing that gets me is it's just like everybody wanted to blame Hillary Clinton for it because, you know, secretary of the state, it was her responsibility. But I'm like, nobody wants to point out the fact that she requested additional aid and uh-huh. Congress turned her down. <laughs> It's also um, she's Secretary of State, not Secretary of Defense. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I'll, I'll be on the record now. It's an unfortunate event. It's um, saddening, you know. Whenever something like that happens, rest in peace to those who were lost. But um, no, I'll go on the record right now and say that wasn't her fucking fault. And I got so sick and tired of hearing that. Um, well, I got sick and tired of hearing it from people who couldn't even name the guys that died. Yeah. Yeah. Where either way you look at it, whether it was four or twelve, like, um, yeah, name them. Yeah. But it was an act um, of madmen. Go ahead, Kyle. It was an act of madmen. Yeah. Uh, that it, it was. It was. How else you explain it? You know. Yeah. You can't. You can't always prevent these kind of things. Right. Um, and especially when you when they were denied the extra defense that was requested. Yeah, uh, because I mean, uh, I think people forget too that this was 2012. This was only a year into the Arab Awakening, the Arab mm-hmm. Spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, a great deal of unrest going on in the entire region at the time. Yeah, and uh, if America has proven nothing else in the last 20 years, is that we still just don't have a grasp on the geopolitical landscape of the Middle East and oh, God Africa. no, God no. Yeah, I mean that that is the part that people skip. It's like, I'm sorry, but it it is the most one of the most dangerous areas in the world. Um yeah. You just have like I mean, an you you have an endless number of cultures and pers- perspectives and outlooks and religions that just do not mix together and we, I mean, and we try to interfere with it and usually not for the better. No. <laughs> I remember this pretty clearly because uh, when this was all going on, this is before uh, they didn't Benghazi, obviously, but um, I almost went to grad school in Cairo. Uh-huh. Because uh, I went to grad school for Egyptian archaeology, and I had been looking to move, possibly move to Cairo. Now, obviously, uh, other there were other factors involved, namely money, mm-hmm. uh, about going to school overseas and stuff. But this was a genuine concern from, like, my family. I'm like, do you really want to, like, move half a block, a couple blocks from Tahir Square? When there's all this unrest and everything, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely something to keep in mind. But I mean, I think, yeah, it, just going back, like the Iraq War, the whole handling of the Saddam situation just proves. I mean, the average person still doesn't know the difference between Sunni and Shiite. Nope. You know. Oh hell, brother! Yeah. They're all brown. And most Americans can't point to any of these countries on a fucking map. Or spell them. <laughs> That's a whole different. <laughs> as Her- or as Herman Cain once said, "Ubeki Becky Stan Stan." Oh Jesus! Yeah, I, I try to block her- my memories of Herman Cain out. Nine nine nine. <laughs> well, now we're was done with. Oh, out of 20... What? Was there any happy news out of 2012? No, 2012 kind of sucked all around. 
I mean, Mitt Romney lost. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was definitely a plus. But then you know the cost of it was that's that's when the current the current shape of the the political landscape as a whole started to to root itself in. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I there's this there's this um it's on YouTube. It, it didn't come from YouTube, but there's this um old animated um short film on you know explaining Mormonism. And, um, you know, Mormon Jesus and, and, and everything that goes into it. I look it up. It's on YouTube. And I think it's just less than 10 minutes long. But it's, it's something um, to really, like, it's almost like that episode of South Park when they're doing Scientology. And they have to keep having at the bottom of the screen, this is actually what Scientologists believe. But, yeah. um, well, they, I do, remember, they, they did an episode on, more, on Mormonism, too. Right, and the, well, they made a whole play on it. But anyway, it's just uh, I remember my my sister and I watching that video on it, and as soon as it ended, my sister points to it and goes, "And that is why Mitt Romney will never be elected president." <laughs> nope. Thank God. <laughs> you know, I almost forgot in the midst of everything else that Mitt Romney was Mormon. <laughs> yeah, he has so many other things that are fucking wrong with him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And now he's considered one of the more sane voices on the uh Oh man, what a fucking time to be alive. I hate oh, this man. timeline. Oh, you and me both, brother. <laughs> uh, I'm still convinced the world might have actually ended in 2012 and we're all just living in the simulation that got propped up. Fuck, it's hot enough. It might be a fucking fever dream at this point. All right. Well, now we're done bitching about the news. <laughs> move on to the fun stuff talk about some movies that came out in 2012 sounds good uh first one on the list tim and eric's billion dollar movie bonjour donald jim <laughs> now i've said it before but i'll say it again tim and eric as a whole are part of the reason why i don't believe there's a god um <laughs> they are not funny they are the physical embodiment of fucking christ i don't even know like I I remember being subjected to hours of their shit on Adult Swim whenever we would go to Trevor's house. And I remember straight-facing through it. Not just straight-facing, but legit getting mad that I was being forced to watch it. Um, but I will say, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie actually got quite a, quite a few hearty laughs out of me. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, it's, it's so weird. Like, in a, a lot of cases... TV shows don't translate well into movies, but in this case, it was the opposite. The TV show was ass, but the movie was actually pretty fucking funny. Um, and I haven't, uh, the, haven't only seen, I, I've never really watched the show, and I've never seen the movie. I mean, I don't. I haven't. I've only seen the movie the one time, but I remember like actually like laughing my ass off at a lot of it just because of how like fucking out there it was. Um, I'll I'll never forget how like good yet terrible the Johnny Depp lookalike was. Yeah, um, Donnie Jepp. Yeah, Donnie Jepp. But um, as far as the show goes, Spaghetti was funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> Spaghetti. But uh, yeah, I mean it's not my favorite humor, but if if we ever all sit down together again, and Trevor wants to put that movie on, uh. I'll 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 sit through it. <laughs> the fucking bit with uh John C. Riley where he's eating like the cold taquitos straight out of the box without putting them in the microwave. 
No. Oh man, I think you're supposed to microwave this. Oh no, it's okay. I only eat the middle part. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to a much better movie, Twenty One Jump Street. Oh my God. I'm gonna let you go ahead, Blake, because it's. Uh, I'm gonna let you go ahead and gush about this movie. I absolutely adore this movie. Um, it's. I think it was hands down my favorite comedy of the decade. And honestly, it may have been my favorite film of the decade. Just how rewatchable it is, how enjoyable it is from start to finish. Um, I just, I just, I could have lived in this world for another hour. I, and for a comedy, that would have been a lot. But yeah, I mean, who would have ever guessed? Who would have ever guessed that like, you know, because, because you know, we live in the same world where, like, <laughs> we had the 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 Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson, Starsky and Hutch movie, Ugh. and yeah, yeah, and and uh, oh, we <laughs> we had the um the live action Fat Albert movie. <laughs> that was twenty. 20- <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like, old shows that are turned oh. into modern comedies. It gets a little tricky, wouldn't you think? But um. But no, like when when you hear that they're gonna make a Twenty One Jump Street movie, um, you want to say, well, that premise, that concept, that doesn't really work when you think about it. And the movie looks you dead in the eye and goes, exactly. <laughs> and it's just, it's so, it's so meta, and it's, it's just, it's such a brilliant movie. And it was, um, it was an enjoyable. Oh yeah, and I mean, like it, it just it also showcased how talented Jonah Hill was because he wrote the screenplay for it. Like it was it was his passion project to make a a Twenty One Jump Street movie that like was self referencing and you know tore down the curtain only to put it back up again. And I mean, you have you have so many you have so many great parts that I mean, you know, like that old lady just tried to grab my dick. She just said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I I have arthritis. I got to grab a handful of that dick." <laughs> And you have, you have, um, I told you that if you didn't get your grades up, you weren't going to prom. You, my friend, about to pay the piper. Um, I, I have to pay you. <laughs> hey, leave Korean Jesus alone. He's doing Korean shit. And probably the greatest cameo of all time is when Johnny Depp shows up in the end. And, um, the main villain goes, we were friends for years. You played saxophone at my sister's wedding. And Johnny Depp goes, tough titties. I fucked her too. (laughs) (laughs) It is, it is, I I need to calm myself down. It is a masterful movie. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Kyle, what what are your thoughts and feelings on 21 Jump Street? I've only seen it the once. Uh, To be honest, it's been a while. Uh, I remember really enjoying it. I really enjoyed the absurdity of it, and uh, if you guys know my taste in uh, movies, and, uh, Donnie, you know for a fact. <laughs> I know. Uh, the more absurd, the the more I enjoy it. Um, the Johnny Depp cameo surprised the hell out of me at the time because I didn't know anything about the old show. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Um, it does not have a similar tone at all. No, no, no not at all. Yeah, uh, I'm very impressed with Channing Tatum as well. Um, yes. Yeah, his comedic timing was a lot more uh, was a lot better than I had, I had thought it would be. 
it was it was very much in the same spirit of what um mark Wahlberg did in the other guys you know like when when we first walked into this you know it's like well this is a no-brainer all all the big laughs all the main laughs are going to come from jonah hill and channing tatum is just going to be there as the the straight man and we walk out and it's like channing tatum is hilarious might have been like his first like film where he wasn't typecast into like a good looking guy the meathead main thing and and i think that was the pitch was jonah hill was like you know i want you to basically be the parody of what you know um all these boyfriends uh think you are of the girlfriends that are in love with you you know like like i want you to be a response to you know the boyfriends of these of these chicks that you know drool over you, but they think like you're just you're just the the sappy like um, romance guy. Yep. Yeah. What uh? What about you, Donnie? What what impressions did it make on you? I mean, pretty much everything you guys said. I I I mean, you would have thought this movie would have been like a disaster just because again it is such a departure from the tone of the TV show. Um, not, no similar tones at all. Um, mm-hmm. but, but God damn this movie, like it, it doesn't let up. Like you laugh from beginning to end and yeah, I definitely would have, I definitely would have been okay if this movie was like a, a, an extra hour longer. Um, yeah, pretty much yeah. everything I could say you guys already said about it. Yeah. So I don't want to get too long winded, but I will leave with probably my favorite review of um of it which was opening weekend one of the few uh times chris rock tweeted at the time was i just saw 21 jump street i'm very jealous (laughs) 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 you know what like i i think that's a review that a review that means more to me than many others is when you're able to make a comedy that you know another iconic comedian is envious of that they didn't make i think that speaks volumes Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, Chris Rock, he still had a lot going for him. He had that top five movie around the same time. <laughs> Let, let's be honest. Tracy Morgan was the heart and soul of that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's move on to the next movie of 2012, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, we'll talk about the more positive aspects of the movie. The thing I never understood with The Dark Knight Rises was that there were so many people who legitimately hated it and thought it was a bad movie. And I'm like, are you fucking nuts? Like, I, I it is definitely one of the best third acts ever. Um, you know, The Dark Knight is better, but it's such a close call between the two. And I never understood, like, people thinking The Dark Knight Rises is bad at all. It it just made no sense to me. Um, I Go ahead. I mean, time defined Bane for the last decade. Yeah. I mean, every depiction of Bane since is is been a reflection of that depiction. Yeah. Uh, have you guys watched the Harley Quinn cartoon at all? Uh, no. Uh, I have uh, not. Highly recommend it. It's a uh, it's hilarious. It's got great cameos from all these uh, even the more obscure DC characters. Uh, I enjoy the hell out of it. Um. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like, it definitely wasn't as good as The Dark Knight, which I think is an unfair comparison to begin with. Uh, it was a solid cap-off to the Nolan trilogy. Mm-hmm. Natural progression of his characters as he had set them up. 
all the way back in Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the twist at the end with Talia. I mean, we all saw it coming, but yeah, uh, well, I still found it really enjoyable. And I, the only thing that ever really bothered me with the Nolan thing was uh, the whole idea that Batman doesn't want to be Batman. Uh, just cause I never really truly got that vibe from reading Batman comics. Yeah. But the way it was set up in the Nolan trilogy made sense to me. So that, I liked that, it. That also seems to be an obsession that movie directors have with any superhero is in the superhero sequels, it's always an inevitable plot line that the hero doesn't want to be the hero anymore. Spider-Man 2. Yep. Spider-Man 2. Superman, Superman 2. 2. Um, the Dark Knight, like in the Dark Knight, he's like, he wants to quit. And then even like, there's a part in Batman Forever where he randomly is like, Batman is no more. And it's like, it just, it's so random. It comes out of nowhere. And um, yeah, that's like, that's just an inevitable thing in a lot of superhero sequels is the hero wants to stop being the hero. But I forgot that. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I just never really understood that because... Uh, the way it's just set up in the comics, like you become a hero because like you kind of have to. And I don't know. I just, I mean, apart, I mean, there are arcs and stuff in the comics, obviously famously Spider-Man and all that, you know, where they end up quitting her for one reason or another. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, they, they put on the tights and the mask for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of directors just kind of miss the point of that. Mm-hmm. But that's the disconnect between film and comics. That's why they're two different, forms of media mm-hmm. and to storytelling yeah but. Uh, on um i mean on the dark night rises I'm, I'm relieved that we all seem to be on the same page here i think it's an excellent film um yeah it's it's greatest sin is that it is simply not as good as one of the best movies ever made and arguably the best sequel ever made that is it's 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 main sin and um Honestly, I'll take it. I'll take that trade-off. Um, I think in a world where we already had Spider-Man 3 and X-Men The Last Stand, the fact that there were people that still had the goal to give the Dark Knight Rises shit is amazing to me. Um, and I mean, even outside the subgenre of the superhero, of comic book films, like Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and, uh, you know... Transformers Dark of the Moon, like it is one of the great, you know, third um, movies in a trilogy. Um, I, I think um, it's, it's a beautiful echo of the Dark Knight, even though like, in a way, like the Dark Knight still has like the perfect ending. If they had never made another movie, like it still has a beautiful ending in its own way. But, and I think because of that, in a lot of ways, like, Nolan kind of tries to come full circle and he connects this movie to Batman begins more than he connects it to the dark Knight in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess that's the return of the league of shadows and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, I, I like that we saw, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne trying to do a little more detective work in the actual bat cave where, you know, as iconic and definitive as the dark Knight is, he doesn't have the real Batcave in it. And I feel like a lot of people always forget that. And um, I, uh, you know, Talia Al Ghul 
a twist that you know it's it still hits you even if you saw it coming a mile away for the sake of not only praising the movie and being honest one of the weaker death scenes i've seen in a movie yeah um not 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 a good one but um and then and then you know in honor of trevor this spawned you know the most meme-tastic side character in the opening of a movie ever, which was the CIA agent with the the blue polo and the khakis, um, <laughs> a very to play Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Correct, correct, very good, very good. But um, but yeah, and it was just I couldn't believe the people that were just hung up on all this weird little shit. Like, how does Bruce Wayne get back to Gotham in the end? Be- because he's Batman. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, because it's a because it's a movie. Yes, exactly. If if that's what takes you out of the movie, then you were the problem. The movie wasn't the problem. Like you just it it, get, it gets to a certain point where it's like, did you even want to enjoy it? But um, but yeah, without without again without talking myself in circles, being too long winded, The Dark Knight Rises, um, a great finale, uh, and just one of the more beautiful superhero films. Very poetic, I will say, and I'll leave it at that. All right, next movie, The Expendables 2. Don't challenge me. <laughs> Don't challenge me. Now, The Expendables 1 was like very much whatever. It's like well, what you thought you were going to get is what you got. The Expendables 2 is actually a decent fucking movie. Like, I remember we saw this in theaters and actually had a fucking blast watching this movie. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, even though he's, you know, he's fucking goofy. He's a good villain in this movie. I liked it. I I, I very much enjoyed myself. Yeah. 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 Um, it, 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 then we had the Expendables three, where we did not enjoy ourselves. <laughs> no, and it, it it had Kelsey Grammer in it. Like you add Doctor Fraser Crane to an Expendables movie, that should have been either so terrible, it's amazing, but then it's just fucking boring. <laughs> I uh, never understand that casting. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just I mean, not to fast forward, but Sylvester Stallone be like, yeah, I have to complete the Expendables trilogy. I'm gonna get the guy from Frasier, and I'm like, what? <laughs> but yeah, Expendables two. Um, I oddly want to. What about finally... the What about the Hague? I am the Hague. I um. I only saw it that one time in theaters when when we all saw it, and um, I oddly want to watch it again. I finally want to revisit it, but yeah, I I very much enjoyed myself. It is quotable. Um, I love Jean Claude Van Damme as a villain. Uh, can't say much more than that. Did it, you see it? A long time ago, it, uh, I remember watching it with my dad at home, long after it came out of theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember enjoying it more than the first one. Yeah, uh, but. I don't quite remember it mainly because those are the kind of movies I definitely turned my brain off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and kind of just, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> right. Well, it's like, that's, that's definitely like expendables one in a nutshell where it's just like, you are literally just along for the ride. It's like, I know what's going to happen this whole fucking movie. Whereas expendables two is just like, all right, we're going to have some fun. It's going to be a ride, but we're, we're going to take some, you know, random left turns here and there and catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. And then Expendables 3, the car breaks down halfway down the block. <laughs> we'll move on to the next movie of 2012, Looper. Oh, I genius fucking, movie. 
I fucking love this movie. Uh, this this was the movie that introduced me to director Ryan Johnson, uh, who would go on to direct the best Star Wars movie, I'll Die on That Fucking Hill. Um, Late Ron. Looper, oh my god. Like, such an original concept. And it was like, it's one of the few movies that involves time travel that isn't messy and isn't convoluted and isn't, you know, contradicting in its rules. And it's just... And it was just a very, very like slow burn type of movie. A lot of subtle cinematography. Um, I mean, really, the only gripe I, I've ever had with Looper is just the, the the subplot of humans suddenly gaining the ability, like psychic abilities in the future. It, there's no explanation for it. Even it's just like a te- like text in the prologue, just for reasons unknown. It, it was kind of like a precursor to somehow Palpatine returned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But other than that, you know, small thing, like, I, I love Looper. I think it's a great movie. Um, it, it's a great chemistry between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, and uh, Bruce Willis. I love that scene where they're showing, you know, the future and showing Joseph Gordon-Levitt slowly age over the years into Bruce Willis, how they did that. Um, it's, just, it's just an all-around great movie. If you haven't see it, seen it, I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend just checking out the filmography of Ryan Johnson in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, Looper, The Last Jedi, Knives Out. Uh, you, there's not a bad one in the bunch. No, and a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Top of that. Yeah, yeah he, um, I didn't get to watch all of it, but he, um, apparently his episode, it's in the, I, I believe it's in the final season, Ozzy Mendez. A lot of people think that that's the best episode of Breaking Bad, the series. A lot of people think that's the best episode of television. Yeah. And uh, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just because it's hard to disagree. Um, I I heard a I saw a think piece on it being like you know, Ozzy Mendez, uh, Breaking Bad, um, Ozzy Mendez. I forget what episode number it is. Is one of the best um, arguments against the model of binging, um, because if that episode had been you know, if that whole series uh, season had been dropped on the same day, it would have gotten lost in it. But the fact that it got to linger for what a week or so um, made it more powerful. Um, was what I saw. So live, I watched the last two seasons of that live, mm-hmm. and yeah, that that shows an argument against binging. It's fun to go back and binge it after you've seen it, right? Uh, but yeah, that episode has so such a bigger impact. I I, I believe yeah. that the obviously not to get off topic, but I believe the you know binging was nice in a way, but then we kind of became spoiled on it, and I had recently watched. Um, rewatched, revisited the first season of Stranger Things, and um, the I believe it's the second or third episode where it ends with them finding um, Will's body in the quarry, and it just ends, and you're like, oh wow, like no, that kid really died and stuff. But then the next episode, it reveals that you know he, you know, it, it was a fake, it was a dummy, and I'm like, wow, I'm starting to not like binging because that episode would have been so much better, so much more powerful if you had to wait an entire week before they did the whole psych never mind thing to you. But yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry to jump topics there. Yeah, go ahead and talk about Looper. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, Looper is just one of those movies where like, it's so good, I almost have barely any notes. Like, it's it's just a great movie. Like, you should see it. Um you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's acting and 
one of the last times Bruce Willis was genuinely good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, and wasn't and, just yeah. phoning it in. No, no. And, and what uh, made it even better was, I don't know about you, but when we went into the theater that night, I had zero expectations of this movie. I don't even think I saw like a trailer of it. it for me, it was literally just like, hey, we're going to see this movie tonight. You want to come? Okay, sure. I got nothing else to do. And like the fact that I ended up loving it just made it even better. Yeah. I mean, the the trailers weren't amazing, you know? I mean, it just kind of – honestly, it, it looked like a Screen Gems joint the way the trailers were edited. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, but, I mean, yeah, it, it definitely surpassed all expectations. And um, when when they announced that Ryan Johnson was going to do Episode Eight, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Oh, I fucking, like, I fucking squealed. Yeah. Um, like I text, I texted you immediately, just losing my mind. Not only that he was going to direct it, but he was also going to write it. Um, and then when and then, we were, and then when we were leading up to Last Jedi, and they were like, "Hey, we're after this, we're going to give him his whole fucking trilogy." And yeah, but um, but you know what? He proved that he's too good for them. He's yeah. he, he has to create his own world, his own mythologies. Um, and uh, but now we have probably one of. A, a subgenre that you would have thought would have been dead and buried by now. He brought back the Who Done It. Yeah. Um, he he basically made like you know how studios were like, oh yeah, we should make a new Clue movie. We should reboot Clue. It's like no, it's called Knives Out, and it's better than anything you would ever do with Clue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ryan Johnson got dragged through the coals by Star Wars fans over the Last Jedi. So it's revenge. He made a movie that was better than the next Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um. Yeah. And you know what? The people who would want to argue with you the hardest there, Donnie, probably didn't even see it. They're like, well, I didn't see Knives Out. No, I was too excited for The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, dude, because that's because you only watch movies that have a Happy Meal toy line. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the same same genre of people as um, – as yeah, um, Robert Pattinson, he's the Twilight guy. I haven't seen anything else he's been in. <laughs> but – Oh yeah, no, sorry, sorry about that. Looper, great movie. About you, Kyle. I can agree with pretty much everything that got said. I think it was a victim of uh, its own poor marketing. Yeah. Um, and I think the weirdest part for me, and I think it's like just a weird criticism, like before anybody saw it, was just <laughs> how do you get Joseph Gordon-Levitt to grow up to be uh, Bruce Willis? They but found a way. They found a way. It was it was a, it was a pretty damn good film. I I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Time travel is a concept that's been beaten to death, uh, but they worked it well. And Johnson knows how to handle time travel better than J.J. Abrams. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan Johnson knows how to answer questions better than J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yeah, well, J.J. Abrams doesn't answer questions, so there's that. <laughs> he, yes, he is a master asker, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a massive fan of Lost. Of which I know Abrams didn't have a huge part of going forward, but helped get started. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I I still love his first Star Trek movie, and to to um respond to yours, uh, how does Joseph Gordon-Levitt grow up to be Bruce Willis? Um, you need to look at what Mickey Rourke looked like in his twenties <laughs> and what he looks like now. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know how to I don't know how else to say this, but the Mickey work you know and see now that guy used to be genuinely handsome. 
Hey guys, remember when I was cute? (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to get myself a little girlfriend. (laughs) All right, next movie, Cloud Atlas. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can only think of what your your review of it was to Trevor right after it was over. When Trevor said, what did you think of it? What did I say? I don't remember. I'm sorry. I'm not going to repeat it because it hasn't aged well. Can you text it to me at least? Yes. Like right now? Yes. Because I legit don't remember. But anyway, I feel like Cloud Atlas was... This was the movie that made people realize that, wow, the Wachowskis kind of aren't good. Um, so, I mean, they did The Matrix, which, of course, huge praise. And then The Matrix sequel, the first sequel, not as well-received. And the third movie, even less so. Um, did they do anything between the third Matrix movie and this? Like, what, what was done between, between those two for them? Speed Racer. They did oh, Speed God. Racer? They did. They did the Emil Hirsch Speed Racer movie. <laughs> I've never even seen that, but I've not really heard you know fantastic things about it. It is one of it is one of the great box office bombs in history, apparently. And don't don't hold me to this, um, but I believe there was a statistic where one there was one night opening weekend it made more money at one particular theater than it did anywhere else in America combined. Wow. Yeah. Well, like I was saying with the Wachowskis, I feel like this is the movie where everybody started to be like, start to realize like, wow, they're not very good. They're kind of like maybe one trick ponies. Like, cause I mean, Cloud Atlas, it's got a lot of nice cinematography and, you know, stuff like that. But as far as story goes, it's kind of a fucking snooze fest. Like it's an interesting concept in the sense of, you know, reincarnation and how like one life can affect the next even you know way into the you know even when decades or even centuries apart and just how all these you know different lives and past lives interact and intertwine it's an interesting concept but it's like interesting concept where nothing interesting actually happens like i i this when i think of this movie i just think of like a weird like blur the only thing that stands out is Willem Dafoe being a creepy hobo in the woods. Um, a... You mean you mean Hugh Grant? No, you mean Hugo Weaving, not Willem oh, Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Well, Willem Dafoe's a creepy hobo in the woods in real life, so that's why I got confused. <laughs> but you know what I meant, old Georgie. Old um, Georgie. Yeah, it's just it's just a very weird blur of a movie where nothing happens and then i think the thing that really like solidified the fact that the wachowskis are not good is uh their next movie uh jupiter jupiter ascending was it called yeah yeah you want to talk about a fucking boring slog um but cloud atlas it's interesting concept nothing interesting happens and that's that's about where i stand with it what about you guys go ahead kyle uh i'm in complete disagreement uh, this is one of my favorite films. Wow. Yeah, I, I think this movie is beautiful. I think the book is beautiful. Uh, I love the cinematography. I love, I love the storyline. Uh, I love the connections. 
obviously not a huge fan of the yellow face. Yeah. That has definitely not aged well, and that was not a good decision to begin with. Uh, I get what they were going for, and it's hard to con- it's hard to convey what happens in the book to, to convey that continuance of souls on screen the way they can do it in a book. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm actually reading the book myself right now, and uh, I, I really like it. Uh, I, I just showed this film to my girlfriend for the first time a couple weeks ago, and she really enjoyed it. I remember watching this on Netflix, I think about a year after it came out, and I immediately wanted to watch it again. Just, I don't know, there was something about it. It's it's definitely the kind of movie that, for me, and I'm, I won't try to play both sides of the fence here, but I didn't absolutely love this movie, but um, it was the kind of movie where after I saw it, I kept thinking about it. And it was a movie that stayed in my mind continuously for the next several days. Um, I I was appreciative that the creators of The Matrix tried to make something in the world of science fiction again. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's a cool concept, you know, a, a movie that changes genres and is more than one genre, just as it is more than one time period. Um, you go from like, you know, basically mutiny on the bounty, you know, like a lost at sea story to um, an espionage in the 70s of a corrupt company to, you know, the the um, uh, big brother government overlord in, you know, Neo Soul. And then finally you have like the post-apocalyptic ruins of the remaining world. I thought that was really cool. Um, and, and maybe you can help me here, Kyle. Is each, you know, is is every character played by Tom Hanks supposed to be the same soul and so on and so forth? Yes. Okay, so each actor, every character that actor plays is the same per is the same soul. Yeah. So the whole idea of like so, you had like Tom Hanks's soul went from being a villain and took all the all his lives to like get to decency. Right. Right, so like, I don't know if you remember, he almost got there when he was playing the nuclear physicist that helped uh, Halle Berry's character. Right. But then he died such a violent death that coming back as that Irish writer was like pretty much like, I guess like an angry retort of his own soul. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember that, um, because, because uh, yeah, I. The, the thing was, I, I was able to follow a lot of it, but then how, like Hugo Weaving, for example, in, in the furthest one in the future, Hugo Weaving is basically like the, 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 the imaginary friend, the, 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 I guess the anti-Jiminy Cricket for Tom Hanks, where he's like an evil leprechaun. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, how do you get reincarnated into somebody else's imaginary friend? If that's not a real person, if that's not a real soul, like how are you a figment of somebody else's imagination in the future? I was lost there. The only thing that I can think of, and I'm thinking of this on the fly, honestly, is that Hugo Weaving's character's uh, souls were so toxic that his last incarnation can only be the result of uh, was it was a hallucination by a result of radiation poisoning. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. Such a toxic soul that that's the only way it could come back. Uh, I'm kind of 
thinking of that on the fly, so I'm kind of bullshitting my way through that one. But that's that's almost a fate worse than hell. It's like you were so terrible, only one person could pay attention to you in the future. <laughs> it's like and a then, fucked up version of a hundred deeds for Eddie McDowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um but yeah, I, I think it was it is a very ambitious movie. And um a beautiful a beautiful score as well. The music is good. Oh, for sure. I I will say I I am I will defend this movie pretty heartily. I got a couple friends who uh who feel very differently about it. Uh, yeah. This is uh, this is easily one of my favorite films. It all makes sense now. I just I love the blending of genres that goes on here. Uh, well, I did say it was a blur, so. <laughs> to each their own, I suppose. I mean, there are people out there who like the Snyder Cut, so. Oh wow! Wow, that's that was that was a low blow, especially since I was willing to somewhat be on your side tonight. <laughs> I, just, I, I look. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna get into it, obviously. But I. I mean, I had to. Come on. I, again, again, I was I was willing to be in your corner on this one, and 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 you pushed me away. <laughs> so, you know what? <laughs> this is this is supposed to be National BFF Day too. Yeah. So, you know what? I, I take back everything I said. Cloud, <laughs> cloud Atlas, more like cloud ass less. <laughs> Very good. Next movie, Wreck It Ralph. Um. <laughs> Yo, I fucking loved Wreck-It Ralph uh, when we saw it in theaters. How could you not? Right? It's just such a fun movie. and Wholesome as hell. Yeah, wholesome. It's fun. And they got a great cast, too. You got John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman. You know, they had a great dynamic. And then Jane Lynch and uh, what the fuck is his name? The dude who plays Fix-It Felix. He's from 30 Rock. Uh, oh, um, Jack McBrayer? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was great. Like... They, they just had an all-around great cast that, you know, worked off of each other very well for this movie. And it's just, it's like, looking back, though, this movie is basically, it's basically Shrek, but in the video game world. Exactly. More or less. But I, I really enjoyed it. I never saw the sequel, um, but I, I really enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph. What do you guys got to say? Go ahead, Kyle. I, I thought it was fun as hell. I thought it was cute. I thought it was heartwarming. Um. I can't decide if it's going to continue to age well or will become dated uh, with video game references and things like that. Uh, I think it'll age longer than it should. Yeah. Um, what I will say is, though, like, this movie is indicative of something I've said for a long time. John C. Riley is the most underrated talent in Hollywood. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Well, that's, what ha- well that's, that's what happens when you when you attach so much of your career to Will Ferrell. Yeah, that'll do it. But when he gets away from Ferrell, man. Oh, God, the, yeah. The, oh, my God. The man is a genius. So much range. I loved him in Chicago. Took a, such a small part and just made it so big. What's, what's funny about that is he hasn't even made that many movies with Will Ferrell that people like try to like accuse them of doing. Yeah, that's also fair, but uh, the ones that he stands out on, though. Yes, yeah, I agree. And apparently their, like, Sherlock Holmes movie is, like, like an absolute <laughs> straight face fest. It's a dog turd. I, I, I can't watch it. 
Yeah. But um, but yeah, I um, God, I just I was just reminded that that movie even existed. I don't know how. Like that movie has not lived a moment in my brain since I had to clean the theater for it. Boom. But um, but yeah, no, uh, Wreck It Ralph. I think it's very likable. Um, you know, uh, John C. Riley just has a very likable voice. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the um, to to um, respond to you, Donnie, the sequel is numbingly forgettable. Like it's just it's just a very forgettable sequel. A yeah, it's it also like um, the sequel has come out during this weird period in Disney animation where Disney one doesn't want to do villains anymore. Like they do this thing where it's like the 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 plot itself is the villain or, or something like that, which is kind of weird. Like they're not they're not they're taking this weird break from making actual physical entities that are evil and villainous. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was just forgettable. But the first movie, very, very likable. A fun time. All right, next movie, Life of Pi. Uh, I this this was one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I remember seeing trailers and commercials for it and just thinking it, it just looked really interesting and really gorgeous. And I was just like, I I need to see this movie. And I I didn't see it in theaters, but I bought it on Blu-ray as soon as it came out and. I went home, I watched it, and I mean, I absolutely loved it. There is just a ton of emotion in this movie. There's a lot of, just a very, very uh, pleasing aesthetic and just a lot of great cinematography. Um, There is one part in the movie where it's like a weird detour that kind of like doesn't just pump the brakes. It straight up floors, it straight up slams on the brakes where they like end up on this living island that's like trying to eat them. Um, it, It just... It gives you whiplash, um, but other than that, I mean, I I love this movie. What about you guys? <laughs> what was that? Uh, that was me making a fart sound. I oh wow, ugh, not a fan of this movie, not a fan of this book. Uh, you're breaking shit. my heart. You're going down I'm a sorry. path. I, you're going down a path I can't follow. Well, I guess this is his revenge for Cloud Atlas. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I, to be fair to the movie, I mean, it was the cinematography was beautiful. Like, it was a really good-looking film. I just, I really disliked the book. I've never read the book. I had to read it for class in college uh, for an anthropology course I did on religion. Mm. And uh, I just, it got... Maybe there was just so much hype for it, because I remember this book came out when I... God, I must have been like the fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So there have been a good ten years of hype before I even had to read it. Um, I found it boring. I didn't find it as insightful as even like the character seems to push himself to be. Uh, I don't quite remember if the movie pushed it as hard, but like the whole concept of trying to be a Christian, a Muslim, and a Hindu all at once. Like, yeah, it's it's not really, like, touched upon that much throughout the movie. Yeah, it's really a heavy theme in the book. Okay. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, it goes back to this whole, like, oh, if we all find the middle ground, it'll be okay. 
kind of thing. And yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just not a fan of the whole concept. Well, that's upsetting. Blake, what do you got to say? Um, so I, I remember like <laughs> hype around this movie. I remember that, like, you know, like I remember the poster where it's like the next avatar and um, just that it was trying to once again push the the 3D agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I remember almost nothing about this movie. I mean, I know like the the plot and the character, but um, yeah, I, I just, this is just one that I have absolutely nothing to say. I don't like you guys anymore. Well, Next uh, movie. <laughs> what was I supposed to say? <laughs> Next movie, Red Dawn. Um, now, of course, this is the remake. <laughs> yeah. I never saw the original, um, but I saw Darn. this one. What? Come on, man. Never saw the original. The original is such a classic. I mean, that's what I've heard, but I've never seen it. But I saw this one in theaters, and I mean, I liked it. Um, I know I'm kind of in the minority there. I don't think it's a masterpiece by any means, but I liked it. Um, I mean, I got what I expected out of it, so that's all I can say about that. What about you guys? I couldn't enjoy this remake for the simple fact that I, I, I just rejected the premise right from the get. Yeah. Fiction, nonfiction, in any way, you cannot convince me that North Korea can invade and take over this country. Uh no they they no that's that's definitely true but at the same time it, I I give it the pass because that was definitely like a, a fear everybody had well it wasn't a, even, a, 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 par, a paranoid one and uh, but it wasn't honest. originally North Korea that was in post production yeah wasn't it supposed to be China originally yeah when they filmed when they filmed the movie it was China but they were they were then the studio was afraid of upsetting the Chinese market because you know, our movies were starting to do well in their box office. So they went back and they digitally scrubbed over all references of China and they changed it to North Korea. Neat. (laughs) Well, well, I'm just, I'm just saying like originally when they wrote the screenplay and when they filmed the movie, they were doing like, I guess a much more like valid paranoia. Yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, so that's not on like the makers of the movie. That's the studio, like hiring a, a different editing team. <laughs> and I, my other biggest problem with the remake is like, it's not Red Dawn if Patrick Swayze is not there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Patrick Swayze is the heart and soul of the Wolverines, man. <laughs> well, you yeah, say, I, like... I mean, I... I enjoyed it for what it was the night we saw it. I have not thought about it since. Um, and uh, I liked it up until the very end. I remember like... Oh my god, I, yeah. What, what an abrupt fucking ending. Yeah, I was having a decent time. And then the way it ended, we were all like, well, that just kind of ruined it. <laughs> I, I always loved what you said about the ending, about how... Uh, I think you said like if you look close enough, you could see you, you could see the guy trying to draw it real quick before before it ends. <laughs> The guy trying to what? Draw it real quick before the the movie ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So next movie, The Hobbit. Uh, <laughs> Oof. Yeah, yeah. The first Hobbit movie is all right. Um, 
the trilogy as a whole is not a only, mess. Yeah, not only does it not hold a candle to the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it, it doesn't hold a candle to any trilogy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it just it's, they're so forgettable, they're so messy. And I mean yeah. the pro I mean the problem is it, it, I feel like it's difficult to make an exciting and interesting Hobbit movie just because the Hobbit is not a good book in my opinion, or at the very least Bilbo Baggins is not a good protagonist. Um, even Tolkien says that in the book when you read it. <laughs> yeah. Like during the battle of the five armies, like legit 30 seconds in, he gets knocked out and misses the whole fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just not a fan of the Lord of the Rings universe in general. Um, but that's a, that's, a discussion for a different day. Just the Hobbit trilogy as a whole is just super messy. It's super dysfunctional. I mean, just a lot of that comes down to just the studio, not really giving Peter Jackson much to work with. Um, I'd be very interested to see the alternate timeline where Guillermo del Toro didn't leave and directed the movies. But, um, and I mean, the biggest, mis- the, the, the first mistake they made was splitting it into three fucking movies. Like I could have understood two movies, which was the original plan, but three, like, the book's like maybe 300 pages long. Come on, guys. Yeah. Um, but I mean, overall, like the the first one, an unexpected journey. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fun. I I remember leaving the theater like, oh, you know, I I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, but other than that, like it has not like had a single moment of thought in my head since I saw it. So I'm gonna bounce the ball to you guys. Go ahead, Kyle. I don't blame Peter Jackson for the mess that this trilogy ended up being. Right. Uh, I blame the studio just because they they pushed Del Toro off and they kept to these deadlines and Jackson had to come in. It wasn't given the opportunity to do what he had done with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say the first one, this one is the best one of this trilogy by far. Uh if for no other reason, it has the Misty Mountain song, <laughs> which is just freaking epic. Um, I had high hopes after this one, but I was definitely it. It, it left something to be desired. Yeah. Uh, that said, too, I mean, if you, I think, if you view this one and the trilogy as a whole, as Peter Jackson's reimagining and retelling of the story of Middle Earth rather than as an adaptation of The Hobbit. I think it's a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you put it in that context, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it could have been one movie or at most two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't hold a candle to the cartoon, so. <laughs> Well, you uh, you either die a hero, or you make a prequel trilogy that isn't as good as your original trilogy. Um, <laughs> and and you know what? Like it's like what you said, Donnie. It doesn't even hold a candle to other trilogies. Yeah, I mean, at least the Star Wars prequel trilogy is a farm for memes. It's just it's just ripe for the picking. Mm-hmm. But uh, with this, like, what references do people bother making to these movies other than that one behind the scenes video where? Um, it's everybody's lunch break and Peter Jackson is just like, Oh my God, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? (laughs) But, um, but yeah, um, this movie, like it's, 
it is it is a movie. It is a uh, a um uh, a motion picture with sound that uh, I watched <laughs> two and a half hours. Um, and yeah, there's not much more to say to it than that. Uh, remember, than... remember when there was like versions of it in other theaters where the frame rate was like twice as high. Yeah, yeah. and it apparently made it look like a soap opera. Yeah, it it, um, it was it was really weird. And um, but yeah, it's no, and that's the thing though. The most, the most, uh, I guess the the best conversations to be had about this movie is the behind the scenes stuff, and nothing about like the film itself as a motion picture theatrical narrative. You know, you had like the mental breakdown of Ian McKellen on set when he got <laughs> confused communicating with the different tennis balls, and uh, just the whole this is not why I became an actor. <laughs> and then you had like people throwing up that like they were, they were watching, you know, um, <laughs> did Telemundo soap opera um, cinematography with the high frame rate. And again, like Peter Jackson kept sending people on lunch just so he can figure out how he was going to make the next few scenes bearable. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just weird. You know, a, um, and it's so weird to me that this movie had a deadline. It's like, you're going to tell the guy that made one of the most successful film trilogies ever, you know, Return of the King, like the winner of what, 11 Academy Awards. You're going to tell that guy, you need to hurry the fuck up. Um, that guy should have been like, no, you need to shut the fuck up and let me work. <laughs> well, that's um, Warner Brothers for you. Well, yeah, it's like, what are they going to do? Fire them? It's just like, okay, well, then your movie's going to bomb because you're going to create the bad press of firing Peter Jackson off of a, a Hobbit movie. Like, yeah. No, Peter Jackson should have grown a pair and then told them to eat shit. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, Warner Brothers. <laughs> Warner Brothers, we're a, uh, we're a, um, a director-driven studio, except when we're not, and we treat our directors like shit. <laughs> Warner Brothers, fuck you. I'm eating. Yeah. All right, last movie for the year 2012, Django Unchained. Django. Django. <coughs> I fucking love this movie. Yo, this was probably my favorite fucking movie of the whole year. I fucking loved this movie. Um, I mean, I was hooked from the get-go. Just the idea of Quentin Tarantino's style and aesthetic being put up against the classic like old western genre i was like i'm fucking in and i mean it's just it's just an awesome fucking movie from beginning to end just watching jamie fox do jamie fox things um and then fucking leonardo dicaprio his character just all the memes that have come out of that character um it's it's just such a great movie i think it's one of tarantino's best movies I I would totally like I, I would totally watch it again anytime. Um this did not win the Academy Award for Best Picture this year. I think Life of Pi won. Uh Blake. Best Picture of twenty twelve. Yeah. Um, I, it was nominated, it, but it didn't win. It, um no, I think I think Quinn Tarantino won best screenplay. Yes. Um okay. Life of Pi won Best Director. Director, that's right. No, and, the the artist uh, won Best Picture for 2012. Uh, no, that was 2011. Um, that was for the Oscars that aired in 2012. But as far as no. the movies of 2012, the winner of Best Picture was Argo. That's and, right. Um, which, which the best picture that nobody saw. 
I, I I thought it was pretty popular. I liked it, and no, I mean, from my point of view, from my experience, it was it was it was rather popular. I you are the only person I've talked to that like has seen that movie. I've seen it. I yeah. I, I you think two it, are I think the you two are the only people I've talked to that have seen that movie. But Donnie, I, I think you were just living under a rock with this movie. Then, I legit. I mean, maybe, but I'm just telling you my experience, dude. Like nobody I knew saw that fucking movie. The one, well, the thing is, the movies that I'm willing, that I think you're describing more accurately, would be the artist. Like nobody saw the artist, and then the year before the artist, you had the King's Speech. Other oh yeah, than no, my, no, nobody fucking saw that. Other, other than my pop and I, nobody else saw the King's Speech. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, people kept. Because you had you had that um, I mean obviously not to jump away from Django Unchained, you had that uh not 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 critique but that um, I guess that that poor reaction to the fact that Ben Affleck wasn't even nominated for best director, and it was the 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 um the complaint that's like how do you have a movie that's nominated for best picture and all these other things, but then you don't nominate it for best director? Like who made it then? Like what did it film itself? Yep. But uh. But yeah, no, I, but you know what? No, no, I won't turn this into a judgy thing. I, let me just recommend it to you. I, I think you should give it a watch, Donnie. It's, it's a good movie. It's pretty good. Okay. But what do you think about Django Unchained? It's, it rocks. It's a fun time. Um, yeah. I mean like, and, and this was, a, that was a movie that like, you knew it was going to be good. Cause it's like, oh yeah, Quentin Tarantino is going to do a, um, a revenge movie set during slavery Right. You just know, like that's going to be a, a ride and a half. And you know what? On top of that, it handles the subject very respectfully. I feel like. Yeah. Um, like it, it, like it doesn't shy away from you know the 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 worst parts of it and the fact that it is an awful stain on the history of this country. But you know, it it doesn't pull the punches. It doesn't shy away from what it is. But it doesn't you know make a mockery of it either. And we don't get this crap with a benevolent slave owner. No. That would loves to show. Right. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Like how there's always that one slave owner that was like, oh, he was nicer than the other ones. Yeah. It's just like no, no, no thank you. <laughs> like yeah, I, I think I think the play off of off that is uh the the bit with um it was Don Johnson, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like. When, when, you know, he sees Jamie Foxx and he's freaking out and he's like, what the hell? And it's just like, no, he's a free man. And so it's like he's got – he's just like his wires are getting crossed because he's like since he's a free man, he's got to treat him like a free man. But at the same time, he's he's black. And it's just like he's telling one of his other slaves, he's like, you know, don't treat him like a slave. Oh, you want me to treat him like a white man? No, that's not what I said. I said don't – and like it, it, it's fucked up, but it's also funny in a way just how like you, you can see the sparks flying off of his scalp when he's, when he's having that moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, and you had like Leonardo DiCaprio as a great villain, mm-hmm. um, and and it was always weird to me not to be a DiCaprio fanboy, which I I've actually grown out of. Um, it was weird that he wasn't even nominated for this movie, and not just that, but that um, Christoph Waltz won. Like I thought Christoph Waltz was good. I thought he did a good job, but like I don't think he did anything you know, um, superior compared to what Leonardo DiCaprio did. Like, honestly, like Christoph Waltz just played Christoph Waltz. Like it's a weird way to put it. He didn't do anything like exceptional or above and beyond, but, um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, uh, whew, it's, it's, it's a wild movie. And it yeah. has, it, it, I love the scene where you almost see like the, the gang of people that are like the prototype KKK. Yeah. And they're and all the, fucking morons. Yeah. It is like, it's like, it's like, shit, I ripped my bag. Does anybody have an extra bag? And you have Don Johnson. He's like, Oh, well, fuck. I can't see fucking shit out of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, well, my wife and I stayed up all night making these. So don't ask us for anything ever again. And he leaves and the guy's like, okay, I think we can all agree that the bags could have been done a little bit better. Not pointing any fingers. <laughs> How about next time we do the, we go all in on the bags, but this time we just do us. All that matters is can the fucking horse see? <laughs> Did you see they made a okay. sequel a sequel comic to this movie where Django meets Zorro? Yeah, I'm trying to like understand the connection there. I don't know, but like I'd love to see that turned into a movie. For sure, for sure. Um and then uh it has one of my favorite jokes of all time at a Comedy Central roast and it's when um Jeff Ross is putting down uh, Jonah Hill and he goes, "Jonah Hill, you know, he's basically making fun of his weight not to condone that um he goes how does that work out that you know they call you and they go hey jonah hill quentin tarantino is making a spaghetti western with jamie fox and you just go hey, hey you had me at spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> just one of my favorite jokes ever go ahead kyle uh, I mean, I love this movie for nothing else. I love any movie where white supremacists get their head blown off. Hell yeah, brother. Uh, yeah, I, one of my favorite things in the world is watching Nazis and white supremacists bite the dust. <laughs> uh, brings my commie heart much joy. It reminds me of uh, that joke in Chappelle show where he was showing like bits that got cut, and it's the player haters time traveling. Like one of them shoots an old slave master. He's like. Am I the only one who thinks it's fucking funny when old when slave owners get fucking killed? <laughs> All can right. Again? Yeah, can we see that shit again? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, now we're done with movies. We'll move on to TV shows of 2012. Um, just got three TV shows that started in 2012: Legend of Korra, the sequel to The Last Airbender. Um, Legend of Korra does not get a lot of love, and that's that's kind of upsetting because I think overall it's a great show, and I think it gets better as it goes along. Um, especially like seasons three and four, holy fuck, are are awesome. Um, another show that started in 2012 was Catfish, which that's just the that show is just a walking fucking meme in a lot of ways. Um, that's just like one of those shows you you know it's garbage, but you can't look away just because you want to see what happens, and then. Napoleon Dynamite had an animated series that ran for like six weeks in 2012 that we want to talk about striking while the iron is cold came out eight fucking years after the movie. Um, like, I feel like if that show had come out like maybe a year or two after the movie, it would have been a lot more popular and a lot yep. better received. Um, but I'll bounce the ball to you guys. I, I'm going to be straight up honest. I have never seen a single episode of any of these shows. That's fair. I've Avatar has been on my list for years. Oh, you need to watch it. And I'm going to get to it now because my girlfriend's a big fan and her son's a big fan. And so I'll get around to it now. Um, but just don't watch into, the movie. 
I, I, ironically enough, I ha- I saw the movie in theaters. Oh, me too. It's so bad. My, I was an M Night Shyamalan fan. <laughs> was being the key word. Yeah, and my ex girlfriend worked at a theater, so we I got to see a bunch of free movies. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that was a shit show. Um, but uh, so it's on my list. Uh, Catfish what was that MTV? Yeah. Yeah, I don't watch that. Uh, no offense to anybody who does. It's just a not my thing. Yeah, the Napoleon Dynamite never made sense to me. Why have a cartoon come out half a decade later? It was more than half a decade. It was eight years. Almost yeah, almost a decade later, yeah. Plus, I never really cared for that movie myself, so. Aw. What about you, Blake? So I have not seen a single minute of this Napoleon Dynamite um, cartoon. Uh, I'm almost convinced that you both just messaged each other before this podcast and <laughs> made it up. Mess with me? No, oh. it's real. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame. It could have been a great show too because they they got all of the uh, original cast to do the show. The, the only thing that tops that is how. Do you remember on like what was it? Was it G4 TV or something like? There was randomly like a Spaceballs animated series yeah. like 10 years ago or so. And I'm like, what the hell was up with that? Like, what, 20 years later, there's an animated series? Um, and then I haven't seen The Legend of Korra yet. It is on my radar, obviously, Donnie. Um, that's something for you and I in the future. I do love The Last Airbender, um, the first series. Um, so, yeah, that that's definitely on the list. I would have to say, uh, with both of you, your assessment of Catfish the show is not only unfortunate, it is tragic and flat-out disappointing. I think Catfish is a legitimately good show. Um, And not only that, it has a legitimately good host, as in a good person hosts that show. And, um, you know, that show does take time to talk about, um, you know, suicide and transitioning and... um, you know, uh, being uh, someone in the LGBTQ community. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's a show that, I mean, yes, you, you on the surface, you think since it's on MTV, it, it's like in the same genre as um, a show like Jersey Shore. Not at all. Like this is, um, this is the, uh, the cousin of Jersey Shore that will actually go to college and get a degree and um, make a name for themselves. Um, see, I would, I, I wouldn't know all that because like the only thing I've ever seen in the show is like the, the random hype clips here and there on like Facebook that pop up or whatever, where it's just like, they just show like the person meet, getting ready to meet who they think is like this super awesome and attractive person they've been talking to forever. And then it's, it turns out it's like a troll living under a bridge. that's just trying to swindle them out of money. It's like, Oh my God. And yeah, like I, all, that's all I've ever seen of it. So that's all I've ever thought the show was. I will not fault you for that then. That is on the, I guess, the social media marketing and the the, the hype machine. Um, but no, I mean, it. yeah, again, it talks on um, depression, suicide, mental health, and again, you know, being um, a gay person in the 2010s and uh, or, you know, um, someone who is transgender. Um, but yeah, it's, I think, um, no, I, I, I think it's a good show. And, and again, it is... It is handled by, um, you know, human beings who, you know, try to be human beings and not like, you know, uh, meme game show hosts. So, no, I, re- I recommend it. Watch a couple ones. In fact, 
I'll give you one that's, you know, um, has a good moral in the end, but is also fun, you know, like just like the, the Jim Belushi line and, um, Sting all the way. It's fun and educational, but, uh, watch, <laughs> watch the machine gun Kelly episode where he's like the guest host or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, that, that's a great episode. That's a great episode. All right. Well, I'll move on to TV shows that ended in 2012. Just got three of them here. Jersey shore. Thank fucking God. Um, fucking one of the trashiest shows I've ever seen. I was always personally offended that Jersey Shore existed because I'm looking at these fucking dumpster fires that are on this show, and I'm just like, yo, I have a college degree, and these fuckers are making way more money than me. I fucking hate this world. Um, just fucking garbage. And then another show that ended in 2012 was A Thousand Ways to Die, which, or as I like to call it, hey, everyone's a retard. Um, and then... Oh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, because he got caught saying a word you shouldn't say on a phone call. Um, which, thank God that show ended too. Because I always fucking hated Dog the Bounty Hunter as a person, even before that like phone call like recording happened. Because, just, he's not a cool dude, first off. I mean, he went to jail for fucking murder. Um, <laughs> he did! Just, but just the way you say it. Just the way you say it, like you said it the same thing as like, God damn it, they forgot my fucking pickles in the driveway again. <laughs> um, the drive-through, just like you went to jail for fucking murder. <laughs> but also, like I always hate it. Like in his show, he always said like whenever he was explaining his quote-unquote job to people, he'd be like, you know, we're not police officers, but we're on the same totem pole. I'm like, no, you fucking aren't. Your profession is is illegal in, like, 90% of the world, and about, like, half of the country at this point. Like, you are not on the same totem pole as law enforcement. You are, like, a fucking loan shark gone wrong, <laughs> essentially. Like, <laughs> What? I can't wait for the inevitable, like, Dog the Bounty Hunter biopic starring, um, starring Mickey Rourke. <laughs> oh, perfect film casting right there. Yeah. What's up? What's the word that he said, Donnie? Uh, he, no. yeah, I'm not, well, no, I'm not gonna say it. I tried to trick you. <laughs> he, he said the no-no word. Oh, he said the word. Yeah. Uh, With a hard yeah. R. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and in, refer- in reference to his son's girlfriend, no less. Wow. So he was racist and sexist um, at the same time in one fell swoop. And then guess what? <laughs> when you hear that, when you hear that story, like, oh, yeah, guess what Dog the Bounty Hunter said? Everyone goes, yeah, he looks like the kind of guy that would say it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bounce the ball to you guys. I feel like we would have been genuinely surprised if he wasn't like that. (laughs) You're not wrong. Yeah. And then as far as um, Jersey Shore, um, I dated someone who they, that was their favorite show of all time. And that's one I should have fucking known. Yeah. (laughs) Kyle, I bounced to you. Uh, a couple thoughts on all these. One, Jersey Shore is another one of those I never watched. For good uh, reason. For obvious good reasons. Uh, that's the one with what? Snooky? Yep. Right. Okay, that's the only thing I know about that show. Uh, <laughs> look like a bunch of obnoxious rich people that I wouldn't want to even like look at in real life. Yeah. Uh, and they were you know, as dumb as a rock. Oh, God, yeah. 
uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, a couple thoughts here. Yeah, you know when you look at somebody and you just know that they're not going to smell okay? (laughs) (laughs) Also, I didn't know until I was like 14 or 15 years old that Bounty Hunter was a real-life profession and not just something George Lucas made up for Star Wars. (laughs) Hey, me too. (laughs) Because it's just, it's such an absurd thing, like, Oh, man. To me, it's, like, lower than a mall cop. Yeah. Like, you couldn't even make it as a mall cop. So you got to turn to bounty hunting, which is such a stupid... If you want to see a good thing on TV about real-life bounty hunting, the movie Domino wasn't too bad. It's just like, this guy guy jumped bail. We got to send bounty hunters. What about the police? Wouldn't this be something more in their jurisdiction? Oh, yeah. The actual law enforcement. Why don't... (coughs) God, it's making me sick. Anyway, why don't you just hit him where it actually hurts and, I don't know, fucking summon him through the court? Like, serve him? (laughs) It's like, any other time you just send a lawyer after someone's ass, that hurts them the most. (laughs) And then, a couple thoughts on A Thousand Ways to Die. Uh, This show, I maintain, was only successful at all because Keith David did the narration. Yeah. Am I, am, I, am I remembering that right? That was Keith David, right? I don't know. I haven't watched a single episode. Uh, it, I mean, it was, it was trash TV. It was the kind of thing that you just kind of put on in the background while you were doing other shit, or you were hung over at 10 o'clock, and that's what reruns were coming on. AM or PM. Yes, I was in college, so it could have been either. <laughs> Neither, uh, both. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I guess they were true stories, which was surprising and not surprising all at once. Right. Um, I mean, I feel bad if like you turn on that show and then you find out like they're doing an episode about how your best friend died. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's a tragic accident to you is like a comedy gold to half the country, I guess, but. Yeah. What wouldn't it be more? What would be more fucked up? That or like you turn it on while you're doing something in the background, like you said, and like the first one, they're like, "This person died by doing this," and you, it's like the exact same thing you're currently doing. <laughs> well, uh, that'll if nothing else will make you believe in God. I guess that will. <laughs> it's a weird form of divine intervention, I suppose. <laughs> um, I don't. Know, I think that was just a product too of like one of the worst. TV station ideas of all time and Spike TV. Oh. Like television for men. Like. <sighs> it's the opposite of the Lifetime channel, meaning it doesn't smell good. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think the only time I ever watched Spike was when Monday Night Raw was on Spike. <laughs> you know. But. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about those. Alright, well then we'll move into our final chunk for the evening here music of 2012 just got a couple songs just gonna go from here call me maybe by carly ray jepson a stupid fucking song but god damn it you can't help but get it stuck in your head for a week straight when you hear it and how many parodies of that song came out what's that how many parodies of that song came out um endless yeah it's just endless it was it was gold and I mean, was, it was, I, just, it... was i the only one when you know i first heard that song and like i was like 
you know, I'm like, this is some Radio Disney shit. Was I the only one who was, like, shocked to find out that Carly Rae Jepsen was, like, 27 years old when that song came out? Yeah, <laughs> and, I was shocked, too. And not, seven, and not like, 16? Yeah, me, and, too. Who's to me now, so. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, like, 35 at this point. Uh, she might be older than that. Yeah. Um, next song. Your... Oh, go ahead. No, go I was ahead. just gonna say I'm all being everywhere. Yeah. Like uh, one of my favorite, like I guess, parodies of this song is uh, I found it recently where somebody like you know how sometimes on YouTube you'll see like they'll mix songs together and uh, just be like this song meets this song and it's just like it's a weird like it weirdly goes together. Somebody took a uh, call me maybe and mixed it with uh, X gonna give it to you. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> And it was it was pretty great. <laughs> when you want to be a thug, but you still listen to Radio Disney. <laughs> um, next song of 2012 is Gundam Style by Psy. Which, oh my god! It's <laughs> uh, so one of the few to, one of the few times where uh, you know racism was forgotten in America for a second. Um, and it's it's so weird. Everybody loved this song, but nobody knew what the fuck the lyrics were. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody knew what the hell the song was about. Um, it needs it was provocative. Yeah. This is a fun ass music video though. <laughs> it was. I I remember going to bars and seeing everybody everybody knew every dance move to that song. Yeah. I mean, how long was that video like number 1? It was like for a long like fucking a time. Well, it was it, like it was, it was like the first video to reach like a billion views, I think. Yeah, it was an I mean Say what you want about it. It's an enjoyable, catchy song. Well, that's just kind of like Psy in general, because like after that song, he became more popular in America, and like more of his music came over here, past and future. And he's he's got a lot of he's got a lot of bops. <laughs> Does he still make music? Uh, I think it's been a couple of years since he's put out another album, but yeah, he's still doing stuff. Nice. Uh, the inevitable comeback is around the corner. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, we are never ever getting back together by Taylor Swift. Um, oh hell yeah! The song, the song that started that meme of Taylor Swift always making songs about her exes is like, oh no, this guy's dating her. Better be careful, you're gonna be her next song. Um, <laughs> and I mean, on the one hand, it's like true for a while there, that was literally every single song she was writing. But on the other hand, it was just kind of like, people write music about stuff going on in their lives, so whatever, who fucking cares? Um, well, it's just like it's just like how many rock star dudes made a song about a girl that they were <laughs> bumping grizzlies with. You know, yeah, like, I mean, this I feel like this is also like the the point where like Taylor Taylor Swift really like completely ditched like her original kind of sound, like where she was a bit more country, and then started yeah. out, started going into the more like kind of poppy sound that she has now. Uh-huh. But that's all I got for well, music, so I'll bounce it to you guys. No, this is when I I really started to like Taylor Swift. I like that album. That I think that was that one was called Red. Yeah. But yeah, you had um, we are never ever ever getting back together, um, which they did a great edit of that mixed with uh, I'm Coming Undone by Corn. Uh, oh, yes, <laughs> it's a great. It's so great. It's I so love, great. I love the Grammys for this year. Um, when uh they were at the Grammys for this year and they were it got Red got nominated for best album along with uh Daft Punk's Random Access Memories and it's yeah. so funny you watch the video when they're on the stage and they're like and the winner of best album is 
and it, you know shows the view of all the nominated artists in the crowd and they just they go and you see taylor swift like immediately start to get out of her seat and they're like random access memories that fuck is she like tries, just gets the fuck back down in her seat real quick yeah um but yeah and then there were some other bops on that album you know like 22 um but yeah no i i love that uh, gangnam style yeah whatever that was that was, was that was another song that boomers randomly had on as a ringtone on their phone unironically yes yes um and then uh call me maybe get stuck in your head so get stuck in your head but yeah like my mind was blown when like she was like <laughs> she was like what yeah 28 29 when that came out and it's like, man, I thought you were like a Selena Gomez or whatever. Like you were like still like 16, 17, but nope. I mean, not that it ultimately matters, but like still um, just surprising. So yeah, no, it was, it was kind of a weird year for music because everything like more so than a lot of other years leading up to it, a lot of stuff felt very gimmicky. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that. Yeah. We'll go ahead and close this out, Kyle. Well, uh, I guess, like, looking, I haven't really thought about 2012 this in depth uh, since 2012. <laughs> uh, I'll say this is, uh, like, looking back on it, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing for me, because uh, this was the year that I finished college and started grad school. So, like, that first half of the year, I felt, like, really in tune to everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And then that second half, like, I don't remember anything, because I just so focused on, you know, moving and starting a whole new thing, so... This is a nice little reflection back into a year I've kind of half forgotten. Uh, what a weird fucking year. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, this this actually might be the start of like this the this last like really when the weird decade started. Yeah, I think this is when we all start to realize we were really living in the dumbest timeline. Yeah. Without 2012, uh, 2012 walked so 2016 could run, and, uh, <laughs> and 2020 could just fucking break the sound barrier. <laughs> what an analogy! I'm uh, I'm very nervous about what 2024 will be like. Hey, you're not the only one. I just uh. I just hope that if nothing else happens in 2024, I just hope Larry Hogan falls flat on his fucking face. <laughs> he will. Dime store Uncle Fester is not going to get us, not going to carry a single state. So, <laughs> no, because and and I've been over this, and not that I'm trying, not that I'm trying to be the guru here, or whatever, the master, or whatever, but like, you know, um, Republicans will want to vote for a more right wing Republican. And then, and then, what was that, Kyle? Oh, I was just agreeing. Yeah, and then the moderate Democrats will just want to vote for an actual Democrat. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have, he doesn't have like the outlet that he thinks he has. Yeah. So yeah, no the the ones on the right will want to go more right, and the ones on the left will want to go with someone who just at least identifies, actually identifies as left. Um, or is just in in more close to that spectrum. Like he is, he is truly like off by himself in the middle of a field with no direction. It's also going to be really interesting when those campaign ads start playing. Talk about how he spent like his entire first term fucking calling teachers union thugs. Yep. 
Uh, or one of his first orders of business was making it okay to dump shit in the water again. Yep. One thing uh, I don't want to see it happen, but like politically, it'd make more sense for him to make a senatorial run. Uh, I can see he that. Actually, he'd probably win a seat. Uh, probably what would, I saw. Yeah. Based on what I saw in 2018, a lot of Dems would vote for him, which is depressing. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, why? Oh no, I'm, I'm not, I ain't even getting into it. <laughs> it's too late for this shit. I can, yeah. I can talk about Hogan for hours. <laughs> so can he. Yeah, that's very true. Well, on that note, I'll go ahead and close out the show. We had a good time tonight. Hey, thanks for coming back tonight, Kyle. Oh, thanks for having me guys. That was a, that was a blast. Sorry it took so long to get you back on the show. We just now finally recovered from your comparison of Yoda to George W. Bush. Yeah, that that takes some time to literally really sink that in. <laughs> My childhood was ruined. Uh, it's true, though. It's damn true. <laughs> well, on that note, if you tuned in late or missed this episode, uh, we'll be on Spotify. Uh, we'll be on Spotify, Pandora, Apple, and Google Podcasts, all the fun stuff tomorrow. Um, be sure to follow us on Fat Minute Radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow Blake at Pukasasi on all those as well. You can follow me at Don John Laughs. And you can follow Kyle at Kyle Reyes. And also he's got his own website, Kyle Reyes Comics. And uh, be sure to check out the Ridiculous Podcast. You got a new episode coming up tomorrow, Kyle? Yep, 7 o'clock. Oh, 7 uh, o'clock. On... Yep, we do it at 7 o'clock. Okay. What are you guys doing for this week? Uh, honest to God, I have no idea. All right, well, check it out anyway, because I'm sure it's going to be awesome, because I had a fun fucking time when I was on the show, so... Yeah, it's it's been good. Uh, Probably talking Star Wars tomorrow is what I'm leaning towards. Hey, you can't go wrong with that. The ridiculous aspects of Star Wars. But we got some good episodes (laughs) coming up. Uh, I'm going to be doing a two-parter on the Animorphs. I don't know if you guys remember that. Yes, yes. Oh, nice, nice. I'll be doing an episode on 80s cartoons at some point. Nice. Uh, I'm going to have my girlfriend on. We're going to do an episode about the ridiculous implications of the Harry Potter universe. (laughs) We got some fun stuff coming up over there. Awesome. Well, like I said, definitely follow the Ridiculous Podcast on Facebook for all of that fun stuff. Um, So on that note, thanks for joining me tonight, guys. Had a good time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Fuck you. Goodbye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 